We're in Acts chapter 16, and this is a Bible story about a journey that Paul and Luke take together, along with uh, Timothy and Silas as well. So we're in chapter 16 of Acts, and I'm going to start with verse 6 and go through verse 10. Paul and, and his companions traveled through the region of, of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae, and they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So the map that's behind me on the wall is from a Bible of Paul's second journey. And you can see... Uh, uh, part of the passage that I read when Paul and his companions travel from Asia to Macedonia, from Troas to Philippi, that's in this scripture passage. Uh, what's, what, the other thing that's in this scripture passage that you can't see on the map is how many questions there would be on that red line in Asia. That map makes it look like they go from Antioch right to Troas, but that's not the case. As I read uh, just in the, uh, the few verses from Acts, what probably happens is they wander around Asia. Paul and his companions probably wander two to 300 miles, and their trip would have taken them at least several weeks. And it's important to Luke that we know that God had a hand in their wandering, so twice in this scripture passage, the Spirit keeps the group from going in the direction that they're headed, or keeps them from doing something that they intended to do. So they plan to preach in Asia, and the Holy Spirit says no, and they consider going to the Roman province of Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus won't allow it. So the group gets redirected, and there is this wandering path that Luke wants us to hear about. They end up in Troas, which is a port city, and I imagine at this point in the journey, they're wiped out. They're disheartened, maybe confused. It's a weary group, I suspect. And at that point in the story, Paul has a vision. He has a dream about a man in Macedonia who's crying out for help. So the result of the vision is that the group crosses one of the great frontiers of the ancient world, and they venture into Greece, into Philippi, is where the story will pick up. Now sometimes when I'm driving, I use that Waze app. You guys ever use that to calculate the best route? And often Waze will recalculate me when I make a wrong turn, or when there's traffic, or when there's a wreck in my path, it gives me an alternate route. This summer, I was driving back from New Mexico with a friend, and because there was a lot of oil field traffic, we were rerouted, and we were rerouted onto the back roads. 
And I kid you not, at one point, because there was absolutely no signal where we were in West Texas, according to the Waze app, it looked like we drove right off the road into nowhere. Luckily, we didn't come to any crossroads, so we just kept on until the map reappeared. But we were wandering. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes we wander. Paul isn't the first faithful person to do it. Remember in the Torah, the story of the Israelites who wander for 40 years before they enter the promised land. And Paul certainly won't be the last either. One of my favorite books in, the, in recent years has been the book Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. In it, she says, control is a drug that we are all hooked on. Believing that we can master the future with our words and our attitudes. I get this. Whether I'm thinking about a situation that I'm in, or I'm thinking about the schedule for my day, my intention is to get the outcome that I want, and that outcome for me would always be ideal. I like to get a lot accomplished. I like a good day with happy people and God smiling. Here's a story that'll tell you a little bit about the attitude that I greet each day with. Keith called me on Friday morning, my day off, and I'm at home this last Friday, and he says, yeah, I'm sorry about this, but I need to bring some people by the house, so I'm just calling to see if the bed is made. And I said, well, last I checked, the Pope is still Catholic, so of course my bed is made because that's the way I work the day. I get stuff done. <laughs> One of the things that's been hard for me is that I don't have control over other people. And I don't have control over who shows up here on Sunday morning. I don't even have control over whether or not I show up on Sunday morning, apparently, because just a few months ago, I was laid up in bed on a Sunday morning with food poisoning. I wanted to preach, but the answer was no. Now, I suspect that the Apostle Paul had a friendly familiarity with this drug of control as well. One of my favorite stories about Paul happens in Acts chapter 15. It's just right before the scripture passage that we read. Paul and Barnabas are making plans for a mission departing from Antioch, and Barnabas wants to bring his cousin. He wants to bring John Mark. But Paul doesn't want to take John Mark because he previously deserted them. So he doesn't want to take Barnabas' cousin again. They're setting themselves up for failure. And the text says that Paul and Barnabas then have a falling out. Some translations say a blazing. What's not to be missed is that Paul and Barnabas have an argument. They have a fight. There's anger there. And then that's the last we see of Barnabas in Acts. Barnabas and John Mark sail away right out of the narrative of Acts, taking the gospel in another direction away from Paul. I think the first part of Acts 16 is probably a cooling off period for Paul. Often wandering is just a natural consequence of a fearful, hasty decision. The book of Numbers tells the story of the Israelites leaving Egypt, and then, then they send into Canaan uh, spies 
to see this promised land. And all of two but of the spies, all but Caleb and Joshua, come back to the group and they say, we've seen that promised land and there's no way. We can't take that land. Those people are stronger than we are. They're like giants and we're like grasshoppers. They'll crush us. And the Israelites get afraid and all of a sudden they say, no, that promised land is not for us. And then God's response is basically, when you don't believe me, when you make a fearful, hasty decision, when you treat me with contempt, then you get to wander. You get to wander for 40 years. This generation will die off before the Israelites reach the promised land. Fear distorts our perspective. It turns regular-sized obstacles into giants. And then there's some wandering, a cooling-off period, and that wandering gives us our perspective back. There's a book called We Make the Road by Walking, and in it, Brian McLaren writes these words. The road to freedom isn't a straight route from point A to point B. It zigzags and it backtracks through wild places because in those wild places, that's where character is formed. And we need it. We need character to enjoy freedom and to enjoy aliveness. Grumbling and complaining are more dangerous than poisonous snakes and the hot sun. So he says, don't catastrophize the present and don't romanticize the past. Author and teacher Jen Hatmaker was in our sanctuary on Thursday night. And she was teaching about the importance of pain. And when she was teaching about the importance of pain, she was reminding us that pain has the power to transform. It has the power to transform us when we give it the time that it needs to bring healing. She said, you know, it's kind of funny. Christians often have a very short arc of healing that goes like this. So we say something bad happened. It was terrible, and now I'm all better. Something bad happened. It was devastating, but now I'm great. When what really needs to happen is that we should give suffering its space, not only to allow for healing, but to learn and to grow, to let suffering give us what it has to give. It's good to wander around a bit. I believe that to be true. The movie Paul the Apostle of Christ doesn't show Paul's falling out with Barnabas. And it doesn't show Paul's group wandering around looking for direction. And I think that's a mistake of the movie. You know, this part of Paul's story is how we get the wise apostle who can speak of love with such great familiarity at the end of his life when he's in Rome. He has to wrestle with love to make it fit. If you watch the movie, you just might get this particular version of Paul's life. You might think Saul was a Pharisee, and he was so certain of his faith that he killed Christians. Then he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, and then he was perfect. But there's so much more. There's so much more to Paul's witness. And there really is so much more to what God has to offer you 
and me on the faith journey. Character is important. The refining of our lives is significant. If you don't believe it, then stick around a little bit after the service. Stick around this week and let me introduce you to some angry, fear-filled Christians. And I'm going to guess that when we meet angry, fear-filled Christians, they're under the impression that they're still in control. They think they control this life. Either their life has been pretty easy, so anything uncomfortable makes them angry, or they just didn't pay attention. They didn't pay attention when they were wandering. They put on blinders and they galloped through, and they just still believe that they're in control. John Wesley called the refining of the Christian sanctification. He talked about sanctifying grace. Dallas Willard called it turning the kingdom of me into the kingdom of God. St. Teresa of Avila wrote about surrender. She said, we can only learn to know ourselves and do what we can, only surrender our will to God's will. And my friend Chris Estes calls this step number 11 of the 12 steps of AA. He paraphrased it by saying, you take out the spiritual garbage. You take out the trash of selfish resentment, dishonesty, and fear. Do you know how Paul knew when the wandering was finished? Do you know how Paul knew when it was over? That the anger had fallen off? That the fear was no longer distorting his vision? That his grip of control was no longer so tight that it paralyzed the group? Did you hear the clue in the text? The clue in the text is he heard a cry for help. He was able to hear of someone else's need, someone who was outside of his kingdom. He had this vision of a man in Macedonia who was asking for help. Come over and help us, the man was crying. And Eugene Peterson, as he retells this passage, says that the dream, the vision, gave Paul his map. He got the map back. Interestingly enough, as this story is told, the man in Macedonia is named Lydia. Yeah, so the vision or the interpretation wasn't so clear. It was a little murky. But what was clear to Paul and the group was the cry. What was clear to them was the call for help. And the road reappears on the map. Dorothy Day started a movement called the Lay Catholic Worker Movement during the Great Depression. And she started this movement as a result of hearing Jesus' command to love our neighbors. Her Catholic Worker House of Hospitality to this very day is a witness of voluntary poverty and prayer and inclusion. She taught those who followed her that like Matthew and Zacchaeus and Mary and Martha welcomed Jesus, you and I can welcome Jesus as well. She said, the person who is in need in my life is not just there symbolically to represent Jesus, but the person who shows up in my life as my guest is literally Jesus. 
In the book, The Long Road Home, Dorothy Day wrote of a vision of a dream that she had. And the vision was of a great banquet table. She said, heaven is a banquet and life is a banquet too. Even if all we have is just a crust of bread. She envisioned companionship. She envisioned us all together. Time with friends and family and praying with eyes wide open while we sit at a table, she said, to a glow of eternal life that begins right now. It must be a common vision. I think it must be a favorite dream or a favorite vision of God's to provide to us. That vision of companionship that vision of doing life together and of hearing the call of those who are in need and heading in the direction of that call together.